A scripture today is Romans 12, 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. We continue in our sermon series on prayer and focusing specifically on words of encouragement to prayer that come to us from the Apostle Paul in his New Testament letters to the churches. And today you heard Obed share this verse, Romans 12, 12, that is uh, very concise indeed. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Title of the sermon is Pray Faithfully. Now when I think of the word faithfully, I can't help recalling the 1983 hit song, by journey. Some of you are smiling. Some of you are looking at me like, what are you talking about, Kurt? But this song by journey titled faithfully, uh, by the way, journey is a rock band from the seventies and eighties. They're still together, uh, just with a different lead singer. They still tour. Uh, and, uh, but a, one rock critic calls this song, the greatest power ballad of all time. April, you're nodding your head. Yes. And the guitar solo, right? Oh, just incredible. Now, one of the reasons why I might be thinking of that when I think of the word faithfully is that uh, Journey's tour of the album, remember albums? Yeah, before digital music. Uh, the album Frontiers, uh, the tour of this, which featured this song, was the first rock concert I ever attended. And it was the second rock concert ever done or held at the brand new Tacoma Dome in the summer of 1983. And it featured a little-known opening act from Canada who no one knew but would come to know, a man by the name of Brian Adams. Now, this song story began with the first-line lyric, Highway Run Into the Midnight Sun being jotted on a paper napkin on the tour bus late at night. And then the next day, it was completed by the songwriter within a half an hour. Its uncommonly quick arrival has been attributed to divine intervention, according to the songwriter, keyboardist Jonathan Cain, who these days is somewhat of a contemporary Christian musician who plays music at his church. It features... For a rock and roll song, surprisingly wholesome and profound lyrics about a touring musician and his beloved persevering in a relationship through the inevitable times of separation. Oh girl, notice I'm not singing this. Oh girl, you stand by me. I'm forever yours, faithfully. Romans 12, 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. In the Greek text, the word faithful is proskarteo. It means faithfully, devotedly, continuing to do something with intense effort in spite of the difficulty or the challenges. It was actually quite commonly used in the first century in the Mediterranean region, and its basic meaning was to stay by something, to persist at something, to remain with someone, as in, oh girl, you stand by me. 
I'm forever yours, faithfully. In the New Testament, this word is a favorite word of Luke, used in the first few chapters of the book of Acts to describe the way the early church remained devoted to God in prayer. In Acts 1.14, we read, they all joined together constantly in prayer. Acts 2.42, we did a whole sermon series on this one verse. They, the first disciples, the first church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They devoted themselves. Same word. And then Acts 6.4, when the, basically the first deacons were called together in order to free up the apostles for other aspects of ministry, important aspects, the apostles said, and this will give, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word, to give their attention to prayer. Same word. Faithful. Devoted. John Calvin, in common commentating on this verse, specifically relates the phrase faithful in prayer to the two phrases that precede it, joyful in hope, patient in affliction. And he writes this, but as both these things are far above our strength to simply be joyful in hope and to be patient in affliction, it's beyond our human ability We must be instant in prayer and continually call on God that he may not suffer our hearts to be faint or be pressed down or to be broken by adverse events. But Paul not only stimulates us to prayer, but expressly requires perseverance. For we have a continual warfare and new conflicts daily arise to sustain which even the strongest are not equal unless they frequently gather new vigor, that we may not then be wearied. The best remedy is diligence in prayer. Honestly assessing the challenges that we face day in and day out, Calvin recognizes the importance of persevering in prayer. As he wrote centuries ago, even the strongest among us is not equal to the challenges we face on our own. He's describing here in Romans 12, 12, a cycle that is known to many of us who have stepped into a deeper life of prayer. You might call this the persevering prayer cycle using none other than just the three phrases of Romans 12, 12. It describes a cycle of prayer that we experience over and over again. It describes how prayer emerges from affliction and inspires hope. Within a community of faith, over time, this happens. You know, the the church is gathered around joyful hope. We express it in worship. We express it even at times of our baptism when we step forward for that sacrament. Or in the Presbyterian church, we also bring our children forward in joyful hope because we know the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit precedes us and blesses us. 
But along the way, we find ourselves suffering affliction. And so then patiently, we faithfully attend to prayer. And in the community of faith, and it's true of this congregation, and not just of this congregation, but churches around the world, we faithfully attend to prayer week in and week out. This faithfulness in prayer is what has been happening in our midst for more than three decades. It happens every Monday morning. We got two thumbs up from Liz, who's manning our cameras here, because she spends time with them. Uh, We have saints who gather together on Monday morning and pray for the needs of the congregation every week, without fail, over the decades. I look back, I've been here at this congregation for over 20 years, and to think of the challenges that people have faced, people who were diagnosed with cancer and were, were struggling in that, longing for healing, people who, who lost loved ones and were in kind of the paralysis of grief, uh, other people, uh, young couples who struggled with infertility. The list goes on and on and on and on. And in this community of faith, those needs, those adverse situations, those afflictions were prayed for by faithful people in this congregation every single week. Praise God and say amen. amen. I'm serious about this. Our mouths, our jaws should drop to the floor when we think about the faithful prayers of that ministry team. It's amazing. And yet, like most things that involve faithfulness, I'm looking at you, Ron Wilmot. That's right. Joan, any, raise your hand. Any others who have been part of that Monday morning prayer team here? Yes. Renee, we've got Linda, we've got Tiffany, and on the screen, I know there's probably five of y'all who are just raising your hand right now. Uh, so uh, our, our prayer team now is meeting uh, primarily through Zoom, right? And we're always looking for more people to join them. We recently have lost, or at least lost for the time being, uh, a number of members of this, of this prayer group who have gone to be with the Lord. And um, so... We're focusing on prayer. This is the big moment where I invite you to be a part of this group so that as we go into the future, we can look back from this point on until that point we're looking back to say that, yes, our prayers are continuing to be, uh, to be said by people in a faithful way, in a devoted way, week in, week out. It's amazing. Like anything related to faithfulness in our lives and disciplined attention to it, good intentions don't get it done. The only reason we can look back at 30 plus years of faithful weekly prayer, lifting up the needs of this congregation and the world to the Lord, is because people put it in their schedule and showed up. And they did that out of their devotion and love for God and their love for you. And they still do it. It's amazing. It's one of the greatest blessings of being in a church, in a community of faith, is that you are prayed for. And you know what? You're prayed for whether you even know it or not. 
There's also another place where we experience the persevering prayer cycle in a really powerful way. And this is going to transition into uh, some people who are going to share from their own lives <clears throat> something that where I know prayer has been a part of this, their experience, and making a difference. And that is those who respond to God's call to serve him in mission. Prayer is so vital when you are out there having said yes to God's call. You've moved somewhere new. You have started to live among a people. Maybe it's a, it's a completely new culture. Maybe it's a, a, a place where you have to learn a completely new language. And you're following the Lord's lead. And you set out in joyful hope because you've gotten this call and you've said yes to it. And you believe in what God has called you to do. And yet it's never easy. You meet afflictions. Some of those afflictions that you face come from within. Our own fears, our own struggles. But sometimes those afflictions are obstacles set in front of us by a force more powerful than us, but not more powerful than a good God. That force is trying to put something in front of us so that we don't succeed in following God's call. To preach the word of God. To let people know about salvation in Christ. To represent the justice and the wholeness of God's kingdom. And so we engage in faithful prayer. That time and time again renews joyful hope all over again. And I can think of no better way of illustrating this than a testimony from the mission field. Okay, what would be better than that is to have two missionaries to share that. Still better would be to have two missionaries from the same family who would do that in our midst. And so I'd like to welcome forward uh, Jeff Kwan and Lisa Kwan to share with us about their prayerful missionary work. Just however the Lord leads you to share. But I know, Jeff... You are a man of prayer, and I've learned so much about prayer and the power of prayer from you. And Lisa, it's so great to have you here with us. We've been praying for you all the time you've been in India. So, so bless us by illustrating faithfulness in prayer as you share with us this report. Okay, thank you, Kurt. Yeah, many of you may not know us, uh, but we were, attended this church from 2001 through 2010. Um, we moved our family here to Seattle to serve with a mission organization. Lisa was actually in preschool at the time. So they spent their formative years here. And in 2010, our organization moved our office from, from here to Dallas, Texas. So we left. But this congregation, I want to thank you all yeah. for your faithfulness. Um, you have been the roof over our heads um, for many years and still continue to support our family faithfully. In, in ministry and mission. So thank you so much to this congregation. And um, yeah, thank you. So I, I uh, was actually part of the prayer group that used to work, meet on Wednesday nights with um, Mary Dirksy and the Wilmonts. And so that has been a wonderful ministry that I was involved in. And uh, so it's been a real blessing. Um, so... So I just want to share a little bit about the ministry that we're involved in. It, uh, it's, the organization is Frontier Ventures, and I'm really happy you're going to have somebody from an, another mission organization that's very similar to ours next week. Um, it, you'll hear probably a very similar message. 
But we work with uh, unreached, unengaged peoples. Unreached means that their population is less than 1% Christian, or there's not enough people in that uh, population to uh, reasonably affect change within it. And they're also unengaged, which also means that there are no missionaries trying to reach them right now. So they'll live and die and never hear the name of Jesus. Um, so um, I'm going to give you an example of a country of India. Um, you see that there. We, it's a geopolitical map of the country, but it is not a homogenous country. Uh, it's made up of people groups, which is the word nations in the Bible. It's the word ethne. Um, but you'll see that uh, these people groups actually have a different worldview, sometimes a different language, and um, they will self-identify as different than the people right adjacent to where, they're, where they are. And so that's India, um, but I will show you a little bit. That's actually what it looks like from a people group standpoint. It's all really subdivided very much, um, so it is not a homogenous country at, at all. And like I said, they'll be right next to each other and never really, um, they might not even like each other or want to have anything to do with each other. So, and they will have a different worldview. So that's kind of what you see in, in a country of India. So I'm going to go back to this slide. So this actually uh, composes 27% of the world's population today. Um, about 2.2 billion people in the world do not have a church and they'll never hear the name of Jesus in their life because there's nobody... Uh, working to reach them. Uh, if I was to stand here and give three seconds to say their names, I would stand here for 18 years just to get through that list. And it does not count the people who would have been born during that time. So it's, it's a significant uh, population. But as uh, the, was the scripture today, we are faithful in hope and patient in this affliction. So there is hope. It's not a hopeless situation by any means. So I will go to here. Um, um, and yeah, less than one person, Christian. Oh, oh, wrong way. Sorry. Technology. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Here we go. So this is some example of people groups in the Bible. So we hear Greeks, Persians, Romans, Assyrians, right? They're different. And all the ites in the Old Testament, Perizzites, Canaanites, Rephites, they're all people groups. They're all ethnically different people living in the same region. So we have this example in the Bible, okay? And this is why we have faith. We're faithful in hope because, as you see in the Scripture, this gospel shall be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, all that people groups, all ethne, and then the end will come. So before the end of time, God will reach these people. So we are patient and faithful in hope. Um, a big part of our ministry is Genesis 12, where Abraham is called to leave his country, his people, and he says, go to the land, I will show you. He doesn't even say where. He says, go to the land, I'm going to show you, and you are going to be a blessing to all people. And that's us today. We are the descendants of Abraham, so we are to go out and be a blessing to all people. The other passage is John 6, It's not really our, quote, responsibility, because it says, no one can come to me, this is Jesus speaking, unless the Father draws them. So really, Jesus is doing the work. We're just kind of the intermediary. So the burden, if you will, isn't on us to, to get people to say yes, if you will, but it is for us to share about Jesus. So this is the patience and the, and the hope that we do have in, in, in the Lord. Um, in Acts 44, we see that as untrained, uneducated men 
um, that are actually the conduits of the gospel. So we have wonderful trained pastors like Kurt um, who went to seminary, but it's not really uh, only them who are involved in this. It's all of us who are untrained, ordinary people, if you will, the, the non-professionals, if you will. And that's how the Bible spread, uh, how the gospel spread through, through the book of Acts, as, as was referenced here. And when, what we do is then, if, if we have it, the gospel is entrusted to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So here's the scripture where it, we have it and we faithfully share it with other people. Um, so here are some examples. Zacchaeus, as we know, he was a tax collector, not a, not a well-liked guy. He was a pretty wealthy guy. He was a sinner, considered a sinner, an outcast. But when he became uh, a believer, he was immediately transformed into a person who could share the gospel. And what did he do? He invited everybody to his house to share about this Jesus who he just met. So this is an ordinary guy, kind of a kind of less than ordinary guy, if you will, not a popular guy in the community. He became a follower. He, was a, he uh, knew his position, repented, and invited everybody to know who this Jesus guy is that I just met. Another example is Naaman. If you know that story, this is a, a, a little Israelite girl who testified to a, um, an Aramean army officer. So she crossed gender barriers, um, religious barriers, cultural barriers to share the gospel, and he became a, a, a follower of Jesus. So we see all these examples where there's all these cross-cultural um, regular people sharing of who Jesus is and, and immediately sharing it. And so this is, again, kind of who we are um, in Second Corinthians. He uses us to spread the aroma of him everywhere, all of us. And um, where we live and who we interact is no accident to it. I just want to kind of highlight that because in Acts 17, God determines the periods and the boundaries of our dwelling places. We're not here in Mill Creek or wherever you live as an accident. And who you interact with at the market, at Central Market or wherever you go, is no accident because it's, it says that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him because he's actually not far from us, even though people may not uh, feel like they're close to Jesus. Because we're around them, they have uh, an opportunity to know who he is. And faithful in prayer, I'm going to kind of talk about that because in Luke 10, we're called to ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. That's praying. And uh, I'm going to turn it over to Lisa now, who this is forward. Got it, don't got it. The, Thank don't you. hit the backward button. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I get the pleasure to talking about India with you. You kind of touched on it. But I just want to say it's incredible being here. I just, like, right when I walked through the, the back doors, I was like, I remember running around in these halls and everything. <laughs> um, and then it's funny thinking about in my dad's office at home, he has this, like, framed picture, and I don't even know how old I was, but I was young, and it's like this watercolor picture that, painting that I painted, and it's an attempt of like North Korea, or, um, and it's like a picture of this church that I drew, and it says like, I love my church because it sends out missionaries, and I didn't even know what that really meant, but um, it's just kind of incredible being here and standing up and saying thank you for your faithful prayers and giving, um, because... Mm -hmm. I couldn't be in India without those two things. Um, and so it's just crazy being here and being an adult and, like, just it's a pleasure um, thinking that it's come full circle, especially talking about India, um, a place that I really loved for four and a half years. 
Um, so when people think of India, they kind of think, oh, it's somewhere in Asia, lots of different gods, um, third world country, dirty people, you know, different spices, curry, all of that. Um, and so it's true, all that is true and crazy weddings, but it's also um, one of the unreached places in America with just, it's in Asia, the population is around 4. billion people. Um, there's a lot of different gods. There's millions of different gods. So they have a god for everything, um, and they pray to any god just for hope and satisfaction and contentment, um, and it just leaves them broken every time. Um, there's also like 22 official languages, but so many different dialects, kind of like what you were saying. is They can live right next to each other, but not really understand um, the language because of the different tones and everything. Um, so it's kind of a really big country with a lot of people with a lot of different languages. Um, so kind of the blueprint of what I did for four and a half years um, came from Mark 4, 26 through 29. Um, and it just says, uh, he also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters a seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows. Though he does not know how, all by itself the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts a sickle to it because the harvest has come. So this is kind of a blueprint. So the farmer, he goes to an empty field. So a place like your locality, your gym, you know, anywhere that Jesus isn't known, you go to the empty field. So that's like you're going. And then you scat the farmer scatters a seed. So that's like you're scattering, like you're sharing the gospel, sharing Bible stories with your neighbor, people that don't believe in Jesus. And then you earnestly pray and you faithfully pray um, because whether you sleep or get up, like God does the growth. So we are faithful in sharing the gospel, but God is faithful by doing the work. You can't like make someone believe or make someone um, get baptized or anything like that. Or share their faith. So you sleep, God does the growth, and then there's growth, so like discipleship. So then that's where the groundwork comes. You're praying together, you're training them, you're helping them know how to share their faith, or whether it's personal things, like you're getting in the word together and discipling them, and that's the growth. And then it says that the harvest is ready, it's ripe. Um, and so he, the farmer puts a sickle to it. So it's like you're gathering the people and you gather them and do church together. Um, so it's, a it's usually a house church um, that we do. And so it's, it costs a lot for a building and air conditioning or fans and things like that. And so we see in the Bible, too, that they gather in homes um, and gather as church. And then you get your faithful leaders and you invest in them. And so that's like the guide in the middle. And so you're spending one-on-one -on -one time um, and helping them also make disciples. So that's like a good, beautiful, perfect picture of what we did. But ministry is messy, and so um, <laughs> it's very different. And that's a good thing because you rely on God. So this is kind of like I will show you five different pictures and kind of explain and get a better picture of practically what this looked like. Um, and so the first picture, this is me and my roommate. Um, and this is Ravi and Smyrna and their son Solomon. And so we, this is like our go field. So one Christmas we were just going and we were um, in our neighborhood and we were just trying to find faithful people that we could share with um, and invite them in their home. Um, and we met Ravi 
And so he actually um, believed in Jesus. And so we were faithfully going to an empty field where we thought Jesus wasn't known in our neighborhood. And we run into Revy. And long story short, um, he was like, I've been praying for people to like pray with and pray for the strongholds in our neighborhood. And so we faithfully prayed with him every Tuesday um, for about nine months until I moved back to America. And so he's still continuing to pray and sharing the gospel in our neighborhood. So that was like kind of our empty field. And then this is our gospel field, so like the go when the farmer um, sows the seed. So this is us um, helping people like in a nearby locality, a nearby neighborhood, and teaching them how to share the gospel. And we use like a simple gospel tool with our hands um, just so they can visualize it and hear it um, in India. So these are like five faithful women that want to go and share the gospel in India to their own people, which is incredible. Um, and then this is kind of like, man, we prayed, my roommate and I, we prayed so hard for this family. And this is like the growing field when like the discipleship is that we prayed for this family for about three months, um, that they would get baptized because they all believed, but they were scared to get baptized. Um, and so it, like, we could have never dreamed that, um, our friend's sister and brother-in-law, um, also wanted to take baptism, but we prayed, and we gathered with her, and we helped her read Bible stories, how to cast vision for her and her family to take baptism. So that was, again, like, we could not have done it. Um, it was just all in prayer, and God did the growth. And then this is our gather field, and so this is someone, um, his name was Kashev, and he, uh, we met him um, through another person, and so we helped him like kind of simplify what it means to gather as a church and how to gather people who maybe are illiterate and they just want to listen um, to Bible stories and how to process um, who God is with them. And so this is a room full of people that um, he just reached out to and wanted to gather. And of course, like, you know, the first Bible study or gathering, like everyone comes. And then as the weeks go on, it thins out. But this was the first time they met, um, and this many people showed up from his neighborhood and um, his family. So this is them gathering. Point it that way. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> and then this is a picture of Guide. And so this is another guy, and he, um, we had like, it was called a training, and so you gather your leaders, and then you help them. Um, know how to share the gospel and how to gather other people. And so he is here in his living room, um, and he gathered people to help them um, start a Bible study in their house and how to go to an empty field and share the gospel, um, how to share their testimony, how to pray for others, how to gather them in prayer. Um, And so this is him guiding his leaders um, that he got to pour into. So again, ministry is messy and it looks beautiful and perfect but there was a lot of groundwork in the beginning like I was there four and a half years and in the last year was probably my most fruitful ministry so it took three and a half years um, for something to happen uh, and I praise God for the hard work of faithfully praying for these people Um, and so there's still work to be done Um, I think of India and Malaysia and Pakistan and so many different countries who they don't have the chance to know who God is. 
Um, and even I think about like our neighbors, like they, you know, see churches all the time, but maybe no one's ever invited them to church or no one's ever had like a spiritual conversation with them. So just because I went overseas or just because, you know, I grew up in a place that talked about missions and everything, um, man, there's people right next door to us or people in other countries that still don't have the invitation to know who God is. And so I think even as Pastor Kurt was talking, I'm like, we're all faithful to something. We're all faithful to get gas in our car, to charge our phone, to, like, you know, check ESPN app and see our favorite, like, team, how they did, um, or check Instagram or whatever. But, man, like, it would be so cool if, like, what was characterized by us is faithful in prayer. And so I'm, like, even moving back to America, I'm like, okay, like, I want to still be faithful to praying for my neighbor or people in India or people in other countries. And so prayer can move mountains. And so I like want to, my charge is that we continue and we start praying for us and people around us and then also in other countries too. So thanks for letting me share. Oh.